morning, everybody. Well, like I said, we are, in these next few weeks, always try to pick a particular focus during Easter to help us focus more on the cross and understand more fully what Christ has done for us. And, you know, I know that we talk a lot about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And I know that sometimes those things can feel very familiar, and things that are familiar can sometimes get to be numb. But one of the things that we need to constantly do, as those of us who love Jesus and are called to him, is find new and fresh ways to continue to look at him and what he's done for us in his cross, and to see it in a new light, and to appreciate it, and to fall on our face in, in love for him and worship of him. And that's what I hope God will do in this series, Behold the Lamb. I told you last week how central the Lamb is all throughout Scripture. We looked at last week um, Genesis chapter 22, and we saw the beginnings of this focus upon a lamb. And it's, it's interesting because, you know, why would the Lord choose this lamb um, over and over and over again in the Scriptures to help us understand more of what he's done for us? But yet he does, and it's important for us. In that question that Isaac asked last week to Abraham, Father, where's the lamb? Um, obviously answered in Christ. And that same question, you see this trail go all throughout the scriptures of looking for the lamb and seeing through the eyes of a lamb what ultimately Christ would do. And so it's beautiful, it's wonderful, and that's why we're looking at it together. Today we're going to be in Exodus chapter 12. So if you've got your Bibles or your phones, whatever you use for the scripture, or if you don't have your Bible, um, you're welcome to look at the screen. It'll be here as well. But we're going to be looking today that in Christ there's no greater deliverance. We're going to behold the Lamb of God through Exodus chapter 12 today. And I've just selected a couple of key scriptures in the Old Testament for these weeks that we're together that show us God's provision through a Lamb and point us ultimately to Christ. So today, Exodus chapter 12. Everybody there? Got it? Say, got it? Yeah? Okay, not everybody said it, so I'll wait just another second. Exodus is the second book of the Bible. And today we're going to be in chapter 12. Um, kind of to get you up to speed, if you're not familiar with the Old Testament, some of you are, some of you may not be. Um, the event we're going to look at today is called the Passover. And the Passover is the greatest in, in the Jewish life and history, just the greatest demonstration of God's great power, great faithfulness, great love for the Jewish people up until the time of Christ. And it is just huge. I cannot even um, describe to you how huge um, it is. It's huge. I just, I mean, I just keep saying it. I don't know another way to say it. But it is of great, great, great importance in the life of the Jewish people and the history of the Old Testament. Um, from this point forward, the Jewish people are always going to point back to this as the greatest sign of their deliverance. Um, the prophets will come on the scene and talk about, they will refer back to the, uh, this Passover or the Exodus as a sign of what God would do in the future. It is just monumental in their life, in their history. Um, we talked about Abraham last week in Genesis chapter 12, and we know that God p- 
pulled together Abraham and his family. He asked them to trust him and to follow him by faith, and Abraham did so. He promised that Abraham would have a family, and through Abraham's family, God would bring a blessing, not just to Abraham and his descendants, but would bring a blessing to the whole world. We know ultimately that blessing is fulfilled in Jesus, who is the seed of Abraham, and all of us who share in the faith of Abraham will share in the promise of God. But Abraham walked by faith, and you remember we saw last week God gave them a son, Isaac, and we see Isaac would have Jacob and then Israel um, become the Israelites. That's where we get the term Israel. They are descendants of Israel, Abraham's family. And God took them. Um, He was promising them a land. And they continue to walk by faith, but you remember Joseph? Anybody remember the story of Joseph? Joseph, a descendant of Abraham, um, was used by God in a great way in the time of Israel where they had great need. Joseph became a ruler in Egypt by God's wonderful provision. Um, And God used Joseph in an amazing way to bring favor to the people of Israel, like I said, in their time of need. And Egypt played a crucial part in providing for Israel in that time of their history, there at the end of Genesis. But as you begin into Exodus, I'm just trying to give you a brief summary leading up to Exodus 12. As you begin in the Exodus, what you realize is that Joseph has died. And things for the people of Israel in Egypt were just not going as they once had. In fact, we learned that they were greatly oppressed and troubled. That a ruler had come after Joseph and didn't really care for the people of Israel. In fact, he felt rather threatened by the people of Israel. Frustrated by them. And in fact put in place plans to try to not just oppress them, but to do them great harm and even to eliminate them. And in Exodus chapter 2, at the end of the chapter, we read that a great cry was going out from the hearts of God's people, who he had loved and who he promised this wonderful blessing and deliverance to, this good and happy future. Here they are in the land of Egypt, oppressed under a hard ruler, really sold into slavery life was so 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 heavy and difficult and burdensome some of you may be familiar with seasons like that and it was just it was just seemed like trouble on every side and they were crying out to God for deliverance for God to do something about what they couldn't do anything about on their own they were crying out to God for hope for his promises to be filled for this great and awesome future Why, Lord? Here we are. We're suffering. We need you. We're broken. We're oppressed. We're enslaved. Hopeless. We need you. God, deliver us. Deliver us, God. And it says that the Lord heard their cry there at the end of Exodus chapter 2. And he begins to work in the way that only God can in the life of Israel and in our lives to bring about deliverance. If you've ever heard of a guy named Moses, anybody? Yeah? Um, So Moses comes onto the scene. God raises up Moses and gives him favor. Moses ends up, because of a thing that he had done, he actually murdered an Egyptian guy. He flees to Midian. Long story short, God ends up coming to Moses, redeeming his life, 
much like he redeems all lives who trust in him today. He redeemed Moses' life. He speaks to him there in a burning bush and tells Moses that he is going to use Moses to be a mediator for his people, to be one who would help to bring about deliverance, the fulfillment of promise for God's people. And Moses goes back into Egypt and gets back into the house of Pharaoh where he was raised. And if you haven't ever read Exodus, I just encourage you to read it because it's just an amazing story of what God can do. But Moses, this man who was so scared to take on the role of deliverer because he couldn't even talk. <laughs> he was so afraid to even speak. He's like, I, I, I have speech in spite of it. I, I can't go talk to Pharaoh about this. <laughs> Not me, Lord. But he ends up, God uses him in a great way. And he begins to go and speak to Pharaoh that God is calling on Pharaoh to deliver his people. And if Pharaoh would not do it, God would do it himself. But time and again, Moses stands before Pharaoh and calls on Pharaoh to deliver his people for God. And time and again, we see through all of these different plagues, this, these signs of judgment that God brings on Pharaoh. Time and again, you would think one after another after another might soften his heart, but Pharaoh's heart grows harder and harder and harder, and life more oppressive for the people of Israel, and he just would not let them go. He would not choose to deliver him on his own. And so here we come now to Exodus chapter 12. And we see that God is threatening for a final time. He's saying to Pharaoh, if you do not let my people go, there will be judgment that sweeps over your land like you have never seen before. The firstborn of all of your homes, of all of your livestock will be taken. And yet Pharaoh continues to harden his heart. And we see here in chapter 12, if you'll read with me. It says, the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first of the year for you. Tell all of the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, every man shall take a lamb. Take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for each household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each one can eat, and you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs. At twilight. Stop right there. First thing the Lord says, He says, I'm bringing judgment onto Egypt. But for you, this is basically what He's saying, I'm going to bring deliverance. Here's what I want you to do. See, I'm doing something new. <laughs> This is going to be, I am resetting the calendar for you. This is going to be a new season for you, Israel. Let it be known that new beginning starts here. He says, here's what I want you to do. So that you may be spared the coming judgment. He says, I want you to take a lamb. Every single person. 
Go and take a lamb. Make sure the lamb is a year old. He's been tested. He's been tried. And make sure the lamb, that you don't find any blemish in it. Make sure it's faultless. I want you to take the lamb into your house. And I want the lamb to live with you for four days. I mean, imagine. I can't even imagine a lamb in my house. <laughs> I've, I've been to other parts of the world where that, that seems like more common where the lamb would be on your property. And of course, in, in this day, it would have been a little bit more common. But still, imagine taking a lamb and kind of living with this lamb for four days. You and your family, your children, your friends, being around the lamb. And knowing that the lamb is there for a purpose, it's there ultimately to die. Get to know the lamb. Make sure it's mature. Make sure it's without blemish. Make sure you cannot find fault in it. And after four days, on the 14th day of the month, verse 6 says, Everyone who trusts me to deliver them. Everyone who has called upon me and who believes in me for deliverance. All of you. You'll kill your lambs, your spotless lambs, on the same night. Then in verse 7, we read on and it says, After this, it says, Then they shall take some of the blood and they'll put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat. Thanks, Courtney, for an amazing work of art this morning. Um, I don't know if you saw it, but as she began to paint, first thing that she painted, it made me emotional just because I was thinking already about this text, but she painted that door. Did y'all see that? The doorway. And she took red paint and she splattered over the doorway and it began to ooze down over the doorway and on the sides. It's the picture of what Israelites did that night. They were to take this precious lamb, spotless lamb, they were to kill it, to bleed it out. And the blood of the lamb, they were to take and apply over the doorways of their home. Verse 8, it says, They shall eat the flesh that night. Roast it on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Do not eat any of the raw, of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted. Its head and its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning, you should burn. In other words, not only should they kill the lamb, not only should they apply the blood, but they should consume the lamb and make sure that they consume it completely. Nothing of the lamb should remain. In verse 11 It says this, that in the manner you should eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you should eat it in haste, for it is the Lord's Passover. He's saying, when you eat it, make sure you consume it all and consume it quickly and be ready. Pack your bags and be ready to go, for this is the Lord's Passover. God will deliver you. 
Verse 12, he says, For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And in all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments, for I am the Lord. And the blood, the blood of the Lamb, shall be a sign for you. On the houses where you are, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Here he's saying to them why this is so important. Because there is a coming judgment. He says, I am going to judge those whose hearts are hard toward me. Those who have refused to listen to my voice. Those who have refused to follow my will. There is a coming judgment. But for you who trust me that I deliver. For you that apply the blood of a spotless lamb. I will pass over you. Judgment will not come to you, but mercy, deliverance, and hope. Verse 14, he says, And this shall be for you a memorial day. And you should keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations, as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you should eat unleavened bread, and on the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses. For if anyone eats what is leavened from the first until the seventh day, that person should be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall hold a holy assembly, and on the seventh day a holy assembly. No work should be done on those days, but what everyone needs to eat, that alone should be prepared by you. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for on this very day I brought your host out of the land of Egypt. Therefore... You shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. In the first month, from the 14th day of the morning at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month at evening. For seven days, no leaven is to be found in your houses. And if anyone eats what's leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel. Whether he's a sojourner or a native of Israel, you shall eat nothing leavened. In all of your places, you shall eat unleavened bread. In other words, God's saying, what is going to happen on this night is going to continue for all generations after this night. Forever and ever, I am asking that you come together at this time every year and remember what I am about to do, for you are about to see something great. You are about to witness the mighty deliverance of God for all who trust in him. And you will never forgive her, forget that the Lord is your deliverer. And then in verse 21 we read that Moses went out and he told everybody to do just what God said. Go and take the lambs, kill them. Take the blood and apply it over your doorpost for none of you are going to go out for the Lord is going to pass through to strike the Egyptians, verse 23. And when he sees the blood of the lamb on your doorpost, the Lord will pass over you and your door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. And we will observe this, he basically says, I'm summarizing, forever. And in verse 26, he says, when your children say to you, what do you mean by all of this? You will say that this is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel and Egypt when he struck the Egyptians 
but he spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshiped. And then when the people of Israel went and did so, as the Lord commanded through Moses and through Aaron. What ends up happening after this is that God does exactly what he said. And in fact, we call it not the Jewish Passover, but the Lord's Passover. You see it multiple times through this. This is the Lord's Passover. You'll remember it as the Lord's Passover. It's what the Lord did, just like what we talked about last week in Genesis, that it was really, hero of the story is not Abraham, but God. In this story, the hero of the story is not Moses, but God. It will forever be called the Lord's Passover, for on this night, the Lord will deliver his people. And what we learn is that God demonstrates his amazing power. For that night, judgment does come to Egypt. Cries go up all throughout the land of grief, of sorrow, as judgment fell upon the people who did not listen to the Lord, who did not obey his voice, who did not receive what he could give. Judgment fell. But also we see his power and that God's people were delivered. You guys are probably familiar with Exodus. Y'all seen the movie? It's, it's not so good. <laughs> but you know the story of the water parting. And if you just think about it, I mean, just if you actually just think about it, more than just a children's fairy tale, but if you actually think about, wow, this really happened, two million people, two million people who for 430 years had been living under the hand of an oppressed ruler, who've been crying out from their hearts for deliverance, sold into slavery. For 430 years in a single night against one of the most heavy-handed, powerful rulers in all of the world at that time. God delivers 2 million of his people. In the most miraculous of ways. Allowing them to escape and to move into the land that he had promised them. It's an amazing moment. It's a huge moment. It's a monumental moment in the life of Israel. Forever and ever, if you survived through this, you would always look back to this and be grateful for the Lord. For you know that if you had not had the Lord deliver you through the blood of the Lamb, that you surely would not have escaped the judgment of Egypt. You would know that. Forever and ever your life would be lived in gratitude to the Lord for how he delivered you out of the hands of such a heavy, hard ruler. Out of slavery and into freedom for God. The Lord worked with great power and the Lord kept all of his promises and the Lord delivered his people. This is the Lord's Passover. And forever and ever from that day, even to this day here in Memphis, Jewish people in this time of year in Passover, typically the month of March, what are they doing? 
they're celebrating this meal. Y'all ever heard of the Seder meal? You ever heard of that? Still to this day, it is remembered of what the Lord did here in Exodus 12 in Egypt, how God showed that he delivers his people. And they keep that meal even to this day. But I want to show you that it's not just about the people of Egypt and the people of Israel. But this story ultimately is about us. If you think about it, you're probably already seeing some of the similarities. But in our lives, aren't we so much like Israel? I mean, just think about your own life. How can you relate to Israel under the heavy, heavy hand of Egypt? The Bible says that all of us dead in our trespasses and sins. Following the course of the ruler of this world, held in bondage by our sin, oppressed, frustrated, feeling in some ways hopeless, and with the promise of a coming judgment for those who are far from God. We are Israel in bondage in Egypt, in a spiritual sense, in bondage to our sin, and in bondage to Satan. And there is a coming judgment, isn't there? But for us, in the same way, why, why do you think? It's just curious. It's, it's the same thing like I asked last week in Genesis chapter 22. Why is it that God would choose to deliver his people in such a weird way? I mean, we hear this story and we're like, okay, yeah, that we, we're familiar with the lamb thing, whatever. That's kind of weird, right? Why is the Lord saying, go kill this animal, this innocent, sweet little animal? One-year-old animal. Without blemish. Why is it such a big deal that you bring the animal to the house? Doesn't this seem particular? Good gracious. God has so many particular instructions. I mean, you could easily think that. Oh, you get a fourth day, tenth day, all this stuff. You know, what is, what is up with this? Why can't he just deliver him? If you want to deliver him, just deliver him. Well, there's a reason that he did it in the way that he did it. It's to help direct our attention to how deliverance comes. If you who deserve to be judged are going to be set free, one who deserves to be set free must take your place and be judged. If it's not your death, it should be the death of another. This is how God is both merciful and just, he says in Romans chapter 3. One must take our place, and not just any one, but a spotless one. God does want to deliver us, and God can deliver us, but there is a way that God has chosen to deliver us, and it is through the spotless Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. 
That's why it should not be a surprise. Listen, for all people of all time, especially the Jewish people, which is why my heart yearns today for Jewish people here in Memphis who live out in Germantown and go to the Jewish Community Center, for Jewish people who I have friends with on the island, for Jewish people that you know, and Jewish people across this world. One of my buddies is over there right now teaching and training in Israel for the sake of the Jewish people. I yearn for the Jewish people to understand this because they've got to see that it's not just the blood of a little animal, but ultimately it's the blood of Jesus Christ who would redeem us and deliver us from sin. Amen? That's why it should grab your attention when John says, chapter one, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Yes, this was about Genesis 22, but also can't you see that this is about Exodus 12? We saw last week that there is no greater love. And this week I'm trying to show you that there is no greater deliverance. And in both places, God chooses to use a lamb in the place of another to demonstrate his love and to demonstrate his power to deliver. A lamb. And it should grab our attention that here, when Jesus comes onto the scene, he's not just an ordinary man. He's not just any other teacher. He's not just some spiritual guru that we sit around and listen to, just like everybody else who's come in this world proclaiming they know the truth. John looks at him, and by wisdom and revelation from God, he says, folks, point your attention to this guy. Behold, look. He's not just a man. He's the Lamb of God. The Lamb who takes away the sins of the world. The one who was allowed to mature before our very eyes. The one who we got to know in those days. All the apostles said, I've seen him, I've heard from him, I've touched him, I've known him. He is the one. He's not just the one brought in and quickly killed. He's the one tested and tried and shown in personal experience to be pure. Jesus himself having God say over his baptism, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. In 2 Corinthians 5, we learn that he had no sin. In 1 John, we read that he knew no sin. Spotless, pure In every way, mature, tried, tested, seen to be innocent, undeserving, the most undeserving, the only one who's ever lived to be completely undeserving of death. Behold, the Lamb of God. But how does deliverance come? It doesn't just come through the life of a lamb. They weren't just to take the lamb in and suddenly the deliverance comes because there's a sweet living lamb in your house. No, deliverance comes not through the life of the lamb only, but also through the death of the lamb. The lamb must die. The lamb must pour out his blood. It's the blood, the Lord says. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. How interesting then that right as Jesus is coming into Jerusalem and everything begins stirring in those last days before his death, in Luke chapter 22, verse 1, what do we read? What time is it that Jesus comes to die? It says, now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called the Passover. Passover. 
chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to put him to death. For they feared the people. The same way, friends, that that spotless lamb tested and tried, innocent, pure, was killed. Jesus came, behold the Lamb of God, spotless, pure, not only to live a perfect life that we might have his righteousness, but ultimately to give his life. Without the shedding of blood, Hebrews says, there is no forgiveness of sins. Friends, he came to pour out his blood so that you and I could be set free. Praise Jesus. Thank you, God, that you gave your life for me. In 1 Peter, we read this, chapter 1. He says, don't you know that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers? Not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Like that of a lamb without blemish, without spot. Paul knew this very well. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, he says, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. You see the connections? (laughs) So like for the Christian people, I'm trying to get your attention to this because for the Christian people for centuries and centuries, See, the early Christians came out of the Jewish faith. They came to Christ from this tradition of Judaism. What happened was they connected this huge, miraculous deliverance that God brought for his people in Egypt to Christ. And what they're saying is, the way that God delivered us from Egypt was through a spotless lamb given for us, applied over our doors. God delivered us, spared us from judgment, and set us free forever and ever, our history tied to God's deliverance through a lamb. And when Christ comes, they proclaim that he is our Passover lamb. He's the one. He's the one that God ultimately was pointing to in Exodus 12. He's the one spotless and pure. He's the one poured out unto death. His blood is the blood that can forgive sin. His deliverance is the ultimate deliverance that would be available for men. All who believe will be ransomed, set free, delivered from oppression, delivered from slavery, freed from sin by his forgiveness, given new life by his grace. Ransomed for God, not through precious Metals, not through silver or gold. Don't you see what God has provided for you as of infinite and eternal value for your deliverance has come through the spotless, pure blood of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ himself. Oh, what a great 
deliverance. Would you agree? What an amazing God we have. And for all who choose to trust God, you know, they had to kill the lamb. They had to trust that God could do it. And they had to take the blood. They had to. Every household. It goes into great pain to help us see each household. And the Lord passed over each household that applied the blood. They had to apply the blood. They had to trust not only that God could deliver, but in how he would deliver through the lamb. And they had to take the lamb in a personal way, the blood of the lamb, and apply it over their own life. And in the same way today, though you might hear that Christ is our Passover lamb, that you might hear his forgiveness is available, you might hear that he is able to deliver and ransom you, you still must, in a personal way, take the blood of the lamb and by faith receive it, trusting in God and his wonderful deliverance for you. We have a great deliverer. In fact, there is no greater deliverance today than the deliverance of Jesus Christ, the Passover lamb. I don't know about you, but I get um, in this season, it's important to take time to be still and just to think about the amazing things that God has done for us. And things like this really, really, really do move me. And I hope they move you. Because what we see is that night, as Jesus took upon his cross, the only one who did not deserve to die, innocent and pure in every way, he took up that cross for you, friend. He went to his death for you. And think about the scene during the time of Passover. In his day, the night that Jesus was killed, the thousands upon thousands upon thousands of little lambs that would be killed that night was a sign God's deliverance for his people. And yet Jesus, knowing ultimately that all of those lambs pointed to him, he was the one lamb of God who could not just as a sign, but in reality, by his own blood poured out, could in reality offer the forgiveness for your sins in reality, deliver you unto God. In reality, bring hope and a future for you. Think about the wonder of what Jesus did for you in giving his own life. And hear his voice call you to trust, to apply his blood to the doorframe of your heart by your faith in him, to trust him and say, God, I believe that you are my deliverer. Out of bondage, you set me free.